chills, dreamy summer bites, flashes of horror and suspense. Bite back at the fear. An excerpt taken from The Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling. At last the elephants began to lie down, one after another, as is their custom, till only Kala Nag at the right of the line was left standing up, and he rocked slowly from side to side, his ears put forward to listen to the night wind as it blew, very slowly across the hills. The air was full of all the night noises that, taken together, make one big silence. The click of one bamboo stem against the other. The rustle of something alive in the undergrowth. The scratch and squawk of a half-waked bird. Birds are awake in the night much more often than we imagine. And the fall of water ever so far away. Little Tumai slept for some time, and when he waked it was brilliant moonlight, and Kala Nag was still standing up with his ears cocked. Little Tumai turned, rustling in the fodder, and watched the curve of his big back against half the stars in heaven. And while he watched, he heard, so far away that it sounded no more than a pinhole of noise pricked through the stillness, the hoot-toot of a wild elephant. All the elephants in the lines jumped up as if they had been shot, and their grunts at last waked the sleeping mahouts, and they came out and drove in the picket pegs with big mallets, and tightened this rope and knotted that till all was quiet. One new elephant had nearly grubbed up his picket, and Big Tumai took off Kala Nag's leg chain and shackled that elephant forefoot to hindfoot, but slipped a loop of grass string around Kala Nag's leg and told him to remember that he was tied fast. He knew that he and his father and his grandfather had done the very same things hundreds of times before. Kala Nag did not answer to the order by gurgling, as he usually did. He stood still, looking out across the moonlight, his head a little raised and his ears spread like fans up to the great folds of the Garo Hills. Tend to him if he grows restless in the night, said Big Tumai to Little Tumai, and he went into the hut and slept. Little Tumai was just going to sleep too, when he heard the coir's string snap with a little tang, and Kala Nag rolled out of his pickets as slowly and silently as a cloud rolls out of the mouth of a valley. Little Tumai pattered after him, barefooted, down the road in the moonlight, calling under his breath, Kala Nag! Kala Nag, take me with you, O Kala Nag. The elephant turned without a sound, took three strides back to the boy in the moonlight, put down his trunk, swung him up to his neck, and almost before little Tumai had settled his knees, slipped into the forest. There was one blast of furious trumpeting from the lines, and then the silence shut down on everything, and Kala Nag began to move. Sometimes a tuft of high grass washed along his sides as a wave washes along the sides of a ship, 
and sometimes a cluster of wild pepper vines would scrape along his back, or bamboo would creak where his shoulder touched it. But between those times, he moved absolutely without any sound, drifting through the thick garo forest as though it had been smoke. He was going uphill, but though little Tumai watched the stars and the wrists of the trees, he could not tell in what direction. Then Kalanag reached the crest of the ascent and stopped for a minute, and little Tumai could see the tops of the trees lying all speckled and furry under the moonlight for miles and miles, and the blue-white mist over the river in the hollow. Tumai leaned forward and looked, and he felt that the forest was awake below him, awake and alive and crowded. A big brown fruit-eating bat brushed past his ear. A porcupine's quills rattled in the thicket, and in the darkness between the tree stems, he heard a hog bear digging hard in the moist, warm earth and snuffling as it digged. Then the branches closed over his head, and again, Kalanag began to go down into the valley. Not quietly this time, but as a runaway gun goes down a steep bank in one rush. The huge limbs moved as steadily as pistons, eight feet to each stride, and the wrinkled skin of the elbow points rustled. The undergrowth on either side of him ripped with a noise like torn canvas, and the saplings that he heaved away right and left with his shoulders sprang back again and banged him on the flank, and great trails of creepers, all matted together, hung from his tusks as he threw his head from side to side and plowed out his pathway. Then little Tumai laid himself down to the great neck, lest a swinging bough should sweep him to the ground, and he wished that he were back in the lines again. Butterflies by Rudyard Kipling Eyes aloft over dangerous places, the children follow the butterflies, and in the sweat of their upturned faces, slash with a net at the empty skies. So it goes they fall amid brambles and sting their toes on the nettle tops, till after a thousand scratches and scrambles, they wipe their brows and the hunting stops. Then to quiet them comes their father, and still the riot of pain and grief, saying, Little ones, go and gather out of my garden a cabbage leaf. You will find on it whorls and clots of dull gray eggs that, properly fed, turned by the way of the worm to lots of glorious butterflies raised from the dead. Heaven is beautiful, earth is ugly, the three-dimensioned preacher saith, so we must not look where the snail and the slug lie, for Sykes' birth, and that is our death. The Beginnings by Rudyard Kipling It was not part of their blood. It came to them very late, with long arrears to make good, when the English began to hate. They were not easily moved. They were icy, willing to wait till every count should be proved, ere the English began to hate. Their voices were even and low, their eyes were level and straight, 
there was neither sign nor show when the English began to hate. It was not preached to the crowd. It was not taught by the state. No man spoke it aloud when the English began to hate. It was not suddenly bred. It was not swiftly abate. Through the chill years ahead, when time shall count from the date that the English began to hate. For All We Have and Are by Rudyard Kipling For all we have and are, for all our children's fate, stand up and take the war, the Hun is at the gate. Our world has passed away in wantonness or throne. There is nothing left today but steel and fire and stone. Though all we knew depart, the old commandments stand. In courage keep your heart, in strength lift up your hand. Once more we hear the word that sickened earth of old. No law except the sword, unsheathed and uncontrolled. Once more it knits mankind, once more the nations go, to meet and break and bind a crazed and driven foe. Comfort, content, delight, the ages slow bought gain, they shriveled in a night. Only ourselves remain to face the naked days in silent fortitude, through perils and dismays renewed and renewed. Though all we may depart, the old commandments stand, in patience keep your heart, and strength lift up your hand. No easy hope or lies shall bring us to our goal, but iron sacrifice of body, will, and soul. There is but one task for all, one life for each to give. What stands if freedom fall? Who dies if England live? dark stories, people who have experienced a touch of the dark side, people who are a little wiser to the world, people who like their bones chilled and their spines tingled, people like you and me. It's hard to find a story these days that write on the dark side with a touch of whimsy, humor, and heart. Mav Sky spreads her dark wings and solves this problem for you. Head on over to Amazon and type Mav Sky's name into the search engine, M-A-V-S-K-Y-E. At Amazon, you'll find her Tales to Chill Your Bones series, Girl Clown Hatchet series, Supergirl series, her cult classic novel, Wanted Single Rails, and of course, her brand new release, Cold Hangs the Midnight. Choose your dark flavor and head on over to Amazon today. <laughs> <laughs> 